Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. A podcast about making radio from the University of Bedfordshire. Hello, I'm Terry Lee. You found yourself listening to another episode of Fantastic Noise. Thank you so, 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 so much for your time and your ears. When I speak to new students about radio, or when we have groups from schools visit the university, I often ask them some basic questions about their relationship with radio. The response I get is usually predictable. Young people are often exposed to radio in the car with their parents. They listen to radio to hear music. Uh, Many that aren't drivers get bored by traffic and travel updates, but they usually point out radio news bulletins too. In this episode, we are going to be looking at radio news, making it, training journalists and the relevance of it. To assist me in this task, I'm joined in the studio by my colleague Mary Ferguson. She works in the journalism department at the University of Bedfordshire and amongst her many roles here, she oversees the journalism newsroom where we train so many students to be news reporters of tomorrow. She's also generally wonderful. Hello, Mary. Hello, Terry. How are you? Yeah, good. And thank you for joining us. Mary, I know you previously worked in TV. Your your working background predominantly involves TV and working with the BBC. But what are your general feelings about radio? Well, as you said, my background is very much telly. I'm a telly head. Uh, I love the telly. But I also do love the radio. The radio for me is what I call, I'm a bit of a butterfly. I like to radio hop. And uh, sometimes I like listening to music. Sometimes I like listening to plays on the radio. Uh, so I have quite a variety, really. Mm, so, but you you t- have it on the radio. I have the radio on every day, believe it or not. I put it on in the morning yeah. when I'm pottering around, and it's on for the rest of the day while I'm at work. For my parrot, my parrot also enjoys the radio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> he okay. does. He loves the radio. He loves what? the music, and he loves the talking. He likes to hear voices. So What's your parrot called? Midas. Midas. Because he's blue and gold. It was very original. So, uh, maybe you'll play Midas this episode and, and Midas will get a thrill from it being given a shout-out on this podcast. Yeah, he'll wonder why uh, he's hearing my voice when I'm not talking. How do you normally call for Midas? Is it like, Midas? Or something like that? It's normally, do you want a tickle? Do you want a tickle? <laughs> and he'll say yes, or I'll ask him, what are you doing? And he goes, I don't know. He always says, I don't know. Moving on, <laughs> yeah. coming up in today's podcast, we're going to hear from Absolute Radio's Emma Jones, who can normally be heard reading the news on their breakfast programme. The University of Northampton's Kate Ironside, who is also on the board of the Broadcast Journalism Training Council, and Radio Centre's Michael Ireland, who co-authored a report last year about the importance of radio news. Later, we shall be analysing some radio jargon with the Radio Word of the Week, and making our weekly visit to Dr Laurie Hallett's radio surgery. But first, to better understand why we make audio, it helps to appreciate what audiences are choosing to tune into and why. With that in mind, I've been asking people to contact us and tell us what they've been enjoying listening to recently. What are you listening to? Hi, I'm Jan, I'm 43 and I live in Kent. I'm a conservationist and I'm mother to a six-year-old and a six-week-old baby. I like listening to Woman's Hour because uh, there's always something that's relevant to me and it helps me to keep up with current affairs. Hi, I'm Nick. I live in South East London and I'm a political campaigner. 
The podcasts I listen to at the moment are The Angelos and Barry Show, which are two characters that I believe are a spin-off from Shooting Stars, the uh, Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer show. And yeah, it's just really silly slapstick, sort of surrealism, inappropriate, daft humour. It's really hard to explain what it's like if you've not heard it. It makes me smile during the commute to work. As well as that, I listen to The Danny Baker Show. He's a fellow Southeast Londoner. This show comes from Five Live, I think. But yeah, he's got really interesting guests and he's quite down to earth. Hi, I'm Lindsay. I'm 38 and live in Bedfordshire. I mostly listen to absolute classic rock, but I love a bit of Saturday morning treasure quest on BBC Three Counties. Please do contact us and tell us about something you've been enjoying listening to. I'd love to include your voice in a future podcast. Fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk is the email address. Mary, there we heard from three people, including Jan with a baby, who likes Women's Hour, Lindsay, who likes Treasure Quest on BBC Three Counties Radio, but what are you enjoying listening to at the moment? Well, um, I like listening to Ken Bruce in the morning on Radio 2. <clears throat> He's got quite a good selection of music, and oh. I think it's the Scottish accent that draws me in also. And then uh, Jeremy Vine. I like the Jeremy Vine show. Uh, I listened to that quite wow. a few times. Um, I worked with him before. He's got the biggest feet you've ever seen. <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy. But well, the biggest are. feet? He has huge feet. Which doesn't don't come over on radio so much. no. No, they said you have got a face for radio or a face for television. <laughs> Jeremy's got a face for both. He's a lovely guy. With Ken Bruce, what is it that appeals, other than the Scottish accent, is it his content, the fact that he has those uh, those regular features that have been going for so long, like Popmaster and the tracks of our years and things like that? Yeah, the Popmaster quiz is quite good because I like to um, I like to join in, if you like, and shout answers at the radio, which is usually wrong. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> and it's different uh, audience demographic that you get. So it's usually middle-aged people who do Popmaster. Occasionally you get a younger person, but it seems to be the the middle-aged fella from uh, Leeds or somewhere like that that wants to call in and, you know, pit himself against a, a young star from the south, you know. it's uh, And also the music that he plays, it appeals to me sometimes. I think it just must be the age group. I don't know. Well, yeah, I guess you do fit into the Radio 2 target demographic. And, and Radio 2 is an exceptionally popular radio station, so you're not alone, I think, in, in picking out those two programmes. Yeah. My nieces think I'm boring. <laughs> I should be listening to some weird uh, hip-hop channel or Radio 1. You know, that it's not the music that I remember as when I was a kid. Well, it's, it's not the music from when you were a kid. That's the very point. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I must be very old, but I just can't seem to grow with the times on Radio 1, whereas I prefer the more easy-listening radio station, like Radio Lab. I like Radio Lab because sometimes it has a long stretch of music that appeals to me because the kind of music that I like. Sometimes it plays music that I just don't want to listen to. Well, Mary, you're a charmer here. If you're, you're, plug, you're plugging the very radio station that we're recording this podcast well, in at the University not? of Bedfordshire. It's a radio station that I actually listen to. Yeah, well, that, that's good to hear. Interestingly, I'm going to share something that I'm listening to as well. And there's a, there's a theme here because 
it's a podcast which is mentioned a lot at our university due to its name, which is Radio Lab. But it's a completely different Radio Lab, Radio Lab podcast, and the Radio Lab this radio station quite quite different. This podcast is created in New York by a group called WNYC. It's like a public radio uh, organization in New York. It mixes science documentary with sound art. And you can pretty much pick any of the many, many episodes and find it really interesting. They're just, they're just made brilliantly, crafted documentaries that, that are so accessible. I recently heard an episode about the discovery of a gene which determines gender. I'm, I'm, I'll just give you some background here, Mary. I, I have absolutely no science background. I couldn't even do double science GCSE. I was so bad um, at science. My sister, on the other hand, is a pharmacist, and I don't know how that's quite... <laughs> she took all the science genes. Um, but anyway, this episode, it was fun, it was intelligent, it was accessible, and it didn't treat me like an idiot, either. I'm looking at your face and presuming that you've not listened to Radio Lab, the podcast, before. No, I mean, the only Radio Lab is, you know, is our University of Bedfordshire's one where I know and love. So it's interesting to hear that there's another... You know, Radio Lab out there, similar name, but completely different uh, focus. But science is always very interesting. I mean, where we used to work at the BBC before, we used to have correspondents who would specialise in particular things. Mm. One would be science. James Wilkinson, when I was young, that was a long time ago now, he was the um, he was a science correspondent. And you would have a law correspondent and an education correspondent. But I always loved working with James because it was interesting that you mentioned genes because they were talking about DNA as early as that you know yeah yeah back to the focus of this podcast which is radio news it was a boiling hot day in london and i took a trip to golden square where bauer radio stations are based to meet with absolute radio breakfast news reader emma jones we sat outside enjoying the sun and some noisy traffic and i started by asking her how comfortable she was with being the informed news authority to a huge national audience well i try not to think about the fact that I'm broadcasting to 2.1 million people um, but also I've been doing this job for a while and it's kind of just something you get used to um, definitely when you first start it's really nerve-wracking reading a bulletin and knowing that it's going out to that many people but I've had the training that I need I'm um, you know I know about all the legal stuff so I'm usually pretty confident that I'm not going to make any errors and also we have our news sourced from other reliable people. We get uh, wires from Press Association. We are subscribed to a service called IRN, which gives out um, content to all commercial radio stations in the UK. So you kind of have a bit of a guide, but it's mainly just about the experience that I've had, really, and, and getting to this point. So to clarify, with your role at the radio station and, and uh, making the, the, those breakfast news bulletins, how much of it are you, you involved in? Are you writing the scripts as well as reading the news? And, and, and how long are your news bulletins? Yeah, people often ask me that. They go, God, do you write it as well? And they seem to be really shocked. Yes, of course, I do write the bulletins as well. So I'll come in at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I'm first on air at 6 a.m. So I have an hour to kind of get my head around everything. In my taxi on the way here, I'll usually check the BBC News app and the Sky News app just to see what's going on. But obviously when I leave work in the afternoons, I'm also trying to keep on top of everything that's been going on throughout the day get news flashes through on my phone all that kind of thing I, know, I like to know what I'm talking about when I get here uh, bulletins are around a minute and a half to two minutes long that's usually five stories two bits of audio if, if there are two bits of audio uh, you don't have to 
have to use audio if there's nothing good. Paul always says that to me. Just don't put uh, that, that's the station manager. Don't put stuff in for no reason. That's pretty much how how it works. I'm I'm pretty comfortable with the with being that kind of authority. They say that's my role on the show because it's kind of three men having a bit of a laugh, and then I'm kind of meant to be the voice of reason. So uh, so that's that's me. Now, Absolute Radio, like all radio stations, is, is targeting certain audiences and the content it produces, the music it plays, thinking about an audience. How much do you have to tailor the news you broadcast to that audience? Very much so, um, but with Absolute, it's quite a broad um, kind of audience that we're aiming it towards. So it would be our typical listener would be a male in the kind of 25 to 54 kind of age bracket. So it's quite appeals to quite a wide range of people, but obviously women as well. But yeah, anything that's kind of politics, sport, quite hard hitting stuff, like not a lot of soft, fluffy news. We don't really do entertainment or showbiz news. Things about finance, things about Brexit a lot of business things kind of consumery stories anything that's really going to affect someone in their kind of daily lives are there any processes to to choose certain themes or stories that you run with like with with the news team generally or or do you have a, a, a certain amount of free reign to, to choose what you think might be interesting to the audience well unusually in this job i'm really the only person I'm kind of a one-man band I'm the only person really doing it so like I say I I get in I write the stories and I read the news the only time uh, kind of anyone more senior would intervene is if something's gone wrong or they don't think we should be running something or there's a legal issue or or something quite serious like that but really day to day I decide what's going in the news and um, and it's all down to me really so I kind of have free reign on that but it's it's mainly just what are the big stories of the day so you know generally a lot of uh, news outlets will be putting out the same kind of stuff how much work and, and training and blood sweat and tears has, has gone in for you to now be producing these regular news bulletins i guess in terms of both historically for you and 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 day to day so i did a journalism degree um in 2006 i started that so um i did that for three years then i went on to do a postgraduate course at cardiff university which was in broadcast journalism so that was a year of tv and radio training and then i was very lucky after that i went straight into my first job which was at capital fm in south wales um, and i was kind of their roving reporter so that was where i got to go out and do loads of interesting stuff Um, and I was there for about three years and then I decided that I wanted to move to London um, because I just felt that I'd done Cardiff and my family are from near here so so I made the big move and didn't have a job to come to I um, went freelance at that point and I was working at TalkSport I was working at Global Radio and I was working at Sky News as well so I was very lucky I had kind of three regular outlets that were giving me work then Sky News decided to offer me a full-time job which was brilliant Um, again I was there for about another three years at Sky News Radio. So there we were doing um, what I referred to earlier with IRM was giving out the news to other commercial radio networks. So I was the person behind that, kind of taking all the clips and writing the scripts and making packages and all that kind of stuff. So that was a brilliant experience and I was very happy there. And then Absolute Radio got in touch last summer and said, we're looking for a new newsreader for The Breakfast Show. Do you want to do it? So I was very lucky in that kind of just fell into my lap um, and it was a really difficult decision because I was giving up a lot leaving Sky but also realised that this was a fantastic opportunity and so I worried about it for a few weeks um, and then I finally decided to take the leap and I'm very happy that I did it's worked out very very well. There will be listeners you know listening to this envying 
your job. It's, this is what they want to do. What are the main challenges for you? Because it can't all be fun and games. There have to be some difficult bits. Yeah, of course. It's yeah, it's it's not all sunshine and roses. Um, I do have to get up at four o'clock in the morning, which is never pleasant. But then I finish at ten o'clock in the morning as well. So that's a, that's a kind of nice thing about it, especially when it's summer and the days are like this, and I have the rest of the day to myself. In terms of radio in general. I think definitely certain types of media are struggling in a world where people have so much choice and they can listen to whatever they want, whenever they want. People don't need to listen to the radio to hear their favourite songs anymore. They can just go on Spotify and have that at a touch of a button. So, it's, yeah, it's definitely uh, the media industry as a whole is going through changes. But I also think radio, we're lucky in that it's something that I think will always be there because people will listen in their cars or people do still choose to listen at home or and and you can get it wherever you know you can be on the move and be listening to it you can listen to it on your commute and obviously we have Ofcom requirements in terms of giving people a certain amount of news so I'm hoping that uh, my job will still be relevant and a robot won't take over in sort of 20 years time but at the moment I'm just trying to enjoy it all while it's while it's happening. I think you've touched upon some of this already but are there any advancements in technology which make things more difficult or even perhaps uh, more exciting you always think like what are they going to invent next could there possibly anything that's going to make my job easier we're lucky at the moment i speak to people that were doing radio and tv years ago and they talk about having to physically cut up pieces of tape and stick them together and people that are my age are like what are you talking about so i feel lucky in that like we've got you know everything at our fingertips even while i've been a reporter you know i used to have to carry around a big mic and a big uh, machine in my bag and then since then everyone just pops out with their iPhone and puts report it on or voice notes or whatever and actually that gives you greater access to people because you can just say to someone oh you're not in the same country as me or you're not in the same city as me but hey just get on your iPhone everyone's got you know most people have got a smartphone and record this on voice memo and we're hearing from a greater number of people lots more different voices getting on the radio I feel like technology has definitely helped us to get to this point God knows what they might create in the future but hopefully it will only make our jobs easier (laughs) Uh, would you be able to tell us about anything that you're enjoying listening to at the moment? But there might be a, a certain presenter or, or programme or a podcast, something that you're listening to that's really got your ear. Yeah, so I should probably toe the party line and say that I love listening to Absolute Radio all day, every day. But I'm a big podcast listener because I obviously work in central London, so I have a commute home on the tube and nothing passes the time faster than listening to a podcast. And I'm really into Atlanta Monster at the moment, which is uh, basically, it's it's very, it's quite dark. Um, it's about a series of child murders in Atlanta in the late 70s and early 80s and about someone who was potentially wrongfully sent to prison for it. But I love anything like that, anything kind of bleak and morbid and American kind of crime stories, S-Town, Serial, all that kind of stuff. Also, I really love The Guilty Feminist. That's a podcast that I'm into. And great long episodes if you want to... I was training for the London Marathon, so that's how I got into it. Because I was like, okay, by the time I've listened to a couple of episodes, I would have run a decent amount of miles. Um, So that's how I got into it. So they're probably my two favourites at the moment. So Mary, listening to Emma there, she talks about her daily routine with presenting Absolute Radio's news. Uh, There's a fair amount of pressure for her to get it right. She calls herself a one-man band. But what did you take from Emma there? Well, what I took from her is that she's very much a self-starter when it comes to her radio show. She is responsible for everything. Interesting that she says that it's three lads and her... And she is the one-man band, is she not a one-woman band? Well, indeed, yes. One-person band? Uh, and quite a big audience, 2.1 million. Yeah. Uh, and uh, ranging between, what, 20, 25 to 54-year-olds, she said. Mm. Uh, and it's a very much a laddie station, no fluffy news. Um, so 
but what a great job you know you get up at five in the morning well, four in the morning, four you go morning. to work, yeah. You uh, start at six, off air at ten, and you have the rest of the day to yourself. But as when a journalist, I imagine that she's always a journalist. She's looking at news all day, even when she's sunbathing in the sun. <laughs> well, when I when I caught up with her, it was just after 10am, just after she finished her programme. And yes, she, she she went off to do something else after that. She was done for the day, and that, that does have an appeal, I suppose. It does indeed. I also liked hearing her talking about the future her hopes that a robot doesn't take over doing her job in in 20 years time i guess with how things like alexa and and those robot voices that you you hear more and more now they they could be improved and and you could get a very realistic sounding robotic voice reading out news one day i, I don't wish to talk a newsreader out of a job but that's an interesting thought that i hadn't really considered before well, I think when it comes to things like Alexa and that, I don't think they're quite there yet. No. You can ask it to do very simple things. But when it comes to the news, news is all about news gathering. And you have to have a nose for that. Journalists are fundamentally very nosy people. And they're always looking for a story. And they're always reading the paper. And the really heavy-duty ones are on their iPhones they're, or their Android phones, looking or smartphones, shall we say, let's face it, looking for news all the time just to get that news story. Or there may be specials following one one line of inquiry, like Grenfell or uh, like the Trump story. But um, in terms of technology, we will always need analysis. And I don't think that technology will allow you, it won't self-analyse. It has to got the, the communication skills to interpersonalise with the person that you're interviewing with. So that, that won't happen, I don't think, for a very, very long time. Kate Ironside is a former radio journalist from BBC Westminster and is now a senior lecturer for journalism at the University of Northampton and she sits on the exec board for the Broadcast Journalism Training Council or BJTC. She's also a former colleague of mine from the University of Bedfordshire. I asked Kate to tell me why news on the radio works. Oh, because it's so fast. It's very, very quick. Compared to television, television lumbers behind. The logistics really slow it down. Uh, Radio, by contrast, is very, very quick. You can get audio on air in in a matter of minutes. Um, And the joy of radio is its reach. You can get people everywhere. People, you know, they haven't got an internet connection but they can get the radio. They're sitting in the car, they can listen to the radio. It reaches so many people. What would you say, Kate, are the key differences between writing news scripts for TV and and news scripts for radio? Well, you have to actually go down, go back to what is really, really obvious. But, uh, you know, students, people starting out, sometimes actually this does, does escape people. But television is very visual. And we listen to radio with our ears. Radio is all about the words. So when you're writing for television, you are thinking about how are the words going to support the pictures. When you're writing for radio, the words stand by themselves. They have got to be simple. They have got to be clear. They cannot be complicated because the the moment you start getting complicated, you're going to lose people. They are going to switch off. If they lose concentration, you have lost them. So you need to keep people listening by keeping it very, very simple. An example then of how you might keep a radio script simple. Oh, well, you, you know, an obvious one is numbers. 
numbers are horrendous to listen to on the radio on television it's very simple you put up a graphic you've got an instant visual demonstration but if you were going to say a number or say one million three hundred thousand and forty two the listener will lose that if you say more than one million it's simple you've got it once you go into uh acronyms uh, very long numbers people stop understanding Whereas with a long acronym or with a long number on television or on text, you've got the visual representation. But when you're doing it through sound, that can be lost. So are there any examples of, of radio news which you would suggest are, are like best ones for, for journalism students to, to listen to, so particular stations and how they cover news? I think the important thing is to have variety. I think the PM programme at the moment on Radio 4... Uh, is a superb combination of some really first-class journalism, quite a laid-back approach from the presenter, but he is razor-sharp when he needs to be. By contrast, if you listen, I think, you know, always listen to, say, Radio 1's Newsbeat, something very different, then people, people should go and listen to the commercial stations, those short, tight bulletins where they're summing it all up in a minute, two minutes, everything you need to know, those headlines, bing, bang, bosh, you've got it. You are informed. So currently, Kate, you're, you're on the board of the Broadcast Journalism Training Council. So we call them the BJTC, an accreditation body working with university broadcast journalism courses and, and other journalism courses. What is it that the BJTC does exactly? And, and does that improve the quality of radio journalists that graduate from these courses? I certainly believe so. The, what, the, what the BJTC is a partnership between industry and higher education. So I sit on the board alongside um, the managing director of ITN, senior journalist from Associated Press, from Reuters and, uh, um, and from the BBC. And what the BJTC does is agree what are the standards that we want the future broadcast journalists to be able to do. What you know, what's the standards of training that future journalists need? We set those standards. Then courses come to us to be accredited. We go round check that they are delivering what industry needs and because what industry needs by the way changes because industry doesn't stand still. And what the BJTC does is. Because it is so well plugged into industry, it then goes to higher education saying, are you doing X, Y, and Z? I mean, for example, mobile journalism once was not a feature. And now it's absolutely fundamental. Um, podcasting, audio slideshows, these are all relatively new developments that have come on. You know, it completely transforms the way radio is now taught compared to say 20 or 30 years ago the other thing that the bjtc does is to guarantee that students get the opportunity to put their skills into practice guarantee that they have their 15 news days a year that they do their that they do their law and their regulation so they really understand uh you know what it is to stay safe in the newsroom that they understand where to find stories that they're technically competent so that when they graduate we give them a certificate, not that they'll have their university degree certificate, but we at the BJTC give them their own certificate from the BJTC saying this student can do X, Y and Z. And they can then take that to employers and go, da, I can do this. And it's got all the logos of all our industry partners on as well as ours. It, you know, It's a testament to what the students can do. 
You, you mentioned news days, and, uh, and I think we probably need to define what a news day is. Well, how, how would you describe that? A news day is when the students work together basically as a newsroom. And they produce news. They've got to go and find that news. They've got to go and interview people. They've got to edit it, write it, script it and put it on air. It's as simple as that. They come in first thing in the morning, say, right, what are your stories? What have you got? Send them out. They go and get their interviews. They come back, they edit it. You know, they'll be tweeting it during the day. It will have radio bulletins going and you end up with a drive time programme. And the joy of that is that students are actually putting their skills into practice. So when they go on placement, when they go for their first job, they know how it works because they've done it. They've been there when the studio crashes. They've been there when the late news has come in and you've got to somehow squeeze it into that bulletin. What are you going to lose? They've had to make all those editorial judgments. They've had to, you know, they've had to do those dodgy recordings and the wind is whistling around is there somewhere where they can interview the person where the, where the quality will, of the sound will be you know bearable broadcastable all those things so then when they come for their first job they know how to do it they've done it what are the current pressures and challenges for, for radio news at the moment what's the future look like do you think for radio news the big interesting one is audience and the young audience where is the young audience because many radio stations struggle with this. So, you know, one of the interesting things about radio is their audience, they may have their target audience, but usually their audience is slightly older. And do you know why that is? It's because the audience always like to think that they're younger than they are. You know, it's absolutely classic. I mean, Global, um, you know, has found that in their, their research of their, of their number, of, the, of who's listening to them. Uh, but the big challenge is because people consume media in different ways now you know they're doing it on their phones and iphones there's an awful lot on social media radio journalism has has to move with the times and adapt and actually radio is now part of a portfolio of skills that journalists need so radio journalists will you know you'll see them on social media they'll be facebook they'll be on twitter they will be engaging with their listeners in multiple different ways. I think one of the interesting things has been the development of podcasts, uh, which is what you, could, you know you can download and listen to whenever you want. You are not dependent on, on the uh, radio station broadcasting it at a time to suit them. Kate, what are you enjoying listening to at the moment? Are there any presenters or, or particular stations or programmes or even podcasts that you're really enjoying uh, listening to in your own time at the moment? I've already flagged up. I, I adore Eddie Mayer, the presenter of the PM programme. I think he is first class. And oh, interestingly, but I wouldn't say enjoy here, but Eddie Mayer is doing a series of a daily podcast from the Grenfell Tower Inquiry. I think that is brilliant public service broadcasting. At the end of every day, there is a podcast summing up what has happened. You have a little bit of discussion between the presenter and the reporter and then the audio from the actual inquiry. Obviously, some days, some days are just unutterably moving, you know, really just quite distressing to listen to, you know, the anguish of the survivors who were giving evidence at the very beginning. And then you move into the technical detail, but they're cutting it down and getting to the chase. You know, what was the problem with that building? And they explain, you know, it's coming up day by day. And I think that is a fabulous piece of work. 
Kate Ironside there, making loads of great points, in particular the importance of keeping radio news scripts simple. She also mentioned Eddie Mayer there, just before he announced leaving Radio 4 to go to LBC. Um, That's how long ago we recorded this conversation. (laughs) So, Mary, you, like me, are involved in training students in journalism. Was there anything Kate said there that you resonated with? What I get from Kate Ironside is passion and knowledge and that she there's nothing that Kate does not know about radio journalism and there's nothing that she does not know about law and ethics but when it comes to her engagement with students because of her passion and the fact that she actually cares about the student as a one-to-one it's much easier for her to impart her experience to those students so she's using not only theory she uses her work place experience in the past when she was at at BBC Westminster uh, which was a a journalist there Um, I have a lot of time for Kate Ironside and she she has a lot of respect for people and that comes across in terms of news you know she's she she nailed it when she's talking about the differences between writing for tv and writing for radio Mm. radio is accessible it's instantaneous you can be on your phone doing a down the line or a phone into the studio or you could be tweeting or you could be recording something for social media so um she's right about that that extent but you know all of that we have to teach the students and the technology as Emma also mentioned, you know, it's still evolving and it's going to change. So we have to always be on top of that, I think. Yeah. Well, with, with TV comparisons, the TV and radio comparisons, she, she specifically mentioned numbers on, on radio. And it is so difficult when, when you have those statistics, when you want to get the point across with numbers and with radio, it does get a bit long and winded and boring. Whereas on TV, you have that advantage of just putting a, a shot of the, the, the figure on the screen and that's how people can follow it. And I have heard Kate teach that because students get into a right old model. The BJTC, whom she also mentioned, the Broadcast Journalism Training Council, who accredit our broadcast journalism course, um, they, they also say that we have to do more uh, uh, audience analysis, demographics, and a lot of statistics. We should represent, and it's a television point of way, but on radio, you can't just show it visually. So it's true, I've heard her say to students, don't just say 6.5 million, just say over 6 million at Caesar. And you did that earlier, talking to Emma. You asked her about audience size. She says 2.1 million, but you actually said over 2 million. So what is easier to listen to? Mm. Over 2 million, your brain doesn't tend to freeze and think. You try and visualise that figure in your head. Too many numbers, you can't visualise it, and you just switch off. You mentioned there the BJTC and Kate's role there. And Kate talked about the importance of industry, the journalism industry, linking with university, where these journalists of tomorrow are coming from, just to make sure that what we're training them is relevant for the workplace that they'll be heading off to. Specifically, talking about mobile journalism, which is something you've been looking at at the University of Bedfordshire, Mary. Where do you think, in terms of radio, mobile journalism is is going? Because what are the, the big developments there? There's no massive, huge developments because, as I said, it's all always ongoing and, and there's quite a few groups around of uh, industry professionals and academics who are looking at the next big thing. Uh, students are on their smartphones the entire time. Mm. BBC, where I used to work, I mean, I look at their uh, web page a lot and it's there's a lot there, but there's still a lot more to come. But in terms of mobile journalism, we shouldn't be afraid to experiment. And we're radio. If you have a smartphone and an app, you can use it as an audio recorder. There are microphones out there that you can buy specifically to turn your iPhone into a a proper audio recorder with proper microphone levels and professional standards. So we try. You can impart the student 
the theory of how to do it, but until they go out into the field and do work placements, they're not going to understand how to put that into practice. UK Commercial Radio's industry body is an organisation called Radio Centre. They have a team of people that lead on policy and produce reports. One report, available online, is called Breaking News. This report highlights new research that explores commercial radio listeners' views on news and trust. Michael Island, who works in the external affairs team at Radio Centre, was a co-author. He told me about how much radio news is valued by the public. Fantastic Noise. Fantastic Noise. A podcast about making radio. It was really interesting to see these figures because we know that commercial radio provides significant public value um, throughout the week. So we've done previous reports that look at how and what type of public value they produce. So a typical station does about 13 and a quarter hours each week, and that's made up of news and sport, weather, travel. But what we were really looking for is what actually the listeners thought of that and, you know, how and when they accessed it. You know, we know that radio isn't the go-to place for all types of news, but there are particular strengths that we have. And I think, you know, the, the report and the results that we got from that research really drew that out. Specifically, you, you mentioned in the report that uh, during local emergencies, uh, as well as in the morning and, and definitely in the car, that's when listeners are saying that they really value the, the regular news updates. Uh, but why, why do you think that is? I think it really is about sort of fitting in with people's lives. So, you know, the first thing in the morning, uh, you know, when you've got the radio on, you don't have to look at it like you do with the television or, you know, it's just sort of in the background when you're making your breakfast and getting ready. So I think, and also, you know, similarly, when people are actually commuting into work, you know, a lot of people will be driving into work. So again, the radio there is the first port of call if they actually want some some relevant information. So some traffic news, a world bit of news um, alongside some entertainment with music and things like that. I, and I guess it, it comes down to it's it's about how digestible radio news is in in comparison to some of the other other media. Exactly. I mean, you know, radio news is sort of they are short, bite-sized updates. Um, they're regular, and they get they throughout the day. Whereas, you know, we know we know that we're not the sort of go-to place for in-depth analysis. But our strengths are for different types of news. And actually, we we often found as well from the research that people often, well, whilst they might hear a headline or a little bit of a snippet from a story, they might then go and look further elsewhere to get more detail on that. It was very interesting to read that radio is considered the most trusted medium in your report, especially in, in I guess, the era of fake news. Uh, radio is consistently found to be the most trusted source of news and information available to audiences in the UK and Europe, is what your report says. I I wondered if if you could make a comparison between why people trust radio news more to, say, social media, for example. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, firstly, you know, we asked listeners if they were concerned about it, and it was over 60% were, which is not surprising, really, you know, to say that they were very concerned about it, and I think it was only 4% said they weren't concerned about fake news. So there's a high level um, of engagement there, but I think it, it comes down really to, you know, the actual behind the radio, you've got professional journalists working there, whereas social media and other forms of, of news, you actually, you've just got sort of random statements made by, you know, the public, which you can't you necessarily know who these authors are. The research we did is echoed, as you mentioned there earlier, um, this European Commission research, which found, again, radio was the most trusted in Europe. And similarly, Ofcom has done some surveys, and again, radio came out top. And social media, unfortunately, consistently comes out the bottom. You mentioned Ofcom there, and, and a question, I guess, could be asked about 
the importance of, of their broadcasting code in, in terms of, of how we can trust radio? Is, is having that sort of regulator, does that play a role in, in people's trust in radio? Very much so. I mean, it, it, it's a bar which all broadcasters have to adhere to. So and I think, you know, when you look at, say, for example, an emergency, that threshold means that, you know, before anything's put out as a headline or as some you know, reporting on a, on a major event, people have to consider whether or not that is, is newsworthy and actually would meet the the standards within the code. Whereas, again, on social media, it's very easy just to sort of tweet out uh, any kind of story which is unsubstantiated and actually is not necessarily accurate. Yeah, I think it's recognised that actually that, that that isn't a trustworthy source, hence why people will put that at the bottom of the scale, really, against all other forms of, of news. You mentioned public value broadcasting, uh, and looking at your report, it specifically says something like 391 minutes of, of news and sport per week is what the average commercial radio station puts out. Considering a lot of people's perception of, of commercial radio being you know, lots of songs and adverts, that's quite a considerable amount of sport and news. I, I guess, does it, does it look like radio news is, is here to stay? Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, that's the, the USP of radio stations is that, you know, if they were just offering music and nothing else, um, you know, people have other sort of jukebox services that they can go to. And I think it's the bits in between the music that are really important and are valued. And again, that's why people will tune into radio in the morning, because they want that little bit extra, something that's relevant to them, especially in their local area, whether it's, you know, sort of news updates, weather for where they are, or even, as I say, travel and the other bits of information. So, you know, radio news is definitely here to stay. Before I let you go, uh, we always ask our guests what you are listening to at the moment in terms of uh, <laughs> presenters, stations, programmes. I mean, we have the radios on that uh, go through our telephones here in the office, so we change the station quite a bit. Mm. But this morning we've had, well, we've had Dave Berry's new show on Absolute Radio. He started today. Um, we've also been listening to the new hits, the new national station hits radio which mm. is now broadcasting from Manchester. But also, uh, you know, in the office generally, uh, and me personally, I'm a big fan of Jazz FM, Chris Country, when I can occasionally get that one in the office. But it's also, you know, things like LBC, Nick Ferrari, presenters like that. I'm a you know, huge amount of respect to people like that and a compelling, compelling radio. Michael Island from Radio Centre there, talking about their report, Breaking News, and how much radio news fits into people's lives. Mary, we were talking there about how digestible radio is and how trusted it is in the era of fake news. Why do you think the public trusts radio news? Well, I mean, the report that Michael talks about there, the report uh, Breaking News, how listeners value commercial radio news, was quite telling. I mean, obviously, it's good to get audience engagement and get some feedback. But the thing about radio is it's regulated by Ofcom. So, you know, that has high standards. You you can't get away with anything naughty, especially when it comes to law and ethics. And, you know, you get quite heavily penalised if you if you do that. Is it, do you get fined? I can't remember. Oh, yeah, well, you can do. Big you can fines. get your licence taken away. Oh, that's not a good thing. So our students also have to be very wary of that. And, you know, they are, they are looked at by academics, you know, the, the worst thing you want is the BJTC coming in when they're doing something naughty on the radio. Um, radio and TV are similar in that you have to have newsworthy sources. They have to be trusted. So any journalist always has two confirmed sources of reports where you avoid the fake news business. Ofcom is itself a scary thing because we have to adhere to that. 
When it comes to fake news, for example, on one of our news days that Kate Ironside mentioned earlier, she alluded to one of our news days, our students have to go and find stories. And there was a local supermarket fire that was huge. It burnt down completely, it affected the community. It was closed for a year. Staff had to move elsewhere. Um, and one of the students just happened to say, hi, Mary, we, we fact, we've seen why the fire happened. And I said, well, what's that? She said, well, there was a cannabis factory in the roof. And at first I believed it because why would why would this not be true? Well, and it turned out it was a little rubbish. So you really do have to confirm your sources with social media like Twitter. Be careful what you say and don't believe anything you read on social media until you confirm it elsewhere. Whereas radio, you know it's been checked and double checked so you can trust what radio news tells you. If anyone wants to contact us here at Fantastic Noise, I'm very keen to make this podcast as interactive as possible. So get in touch. Uh, We did receive an email from Laura, which I'm going to read now. Dear Fantastic Noise, I've just listened to your first podcast and found it really interesting to hear Luke's story about how hard it is to break into radio presenting. I am 19 and have always wanted to make radio, but don't know where to start. I'm going to be heading to university in October in Nottingham. Will I get a chance to present there? Thanks, Laura in Leeds. I can't say for sure what will happen when you speak to the university radio station in Nottingham. It is a great university, though, and, and the radio station, URN, is award-winning for student radios, and, and you know it does really well. What I will say is, when I went to university, I was studying economics and politics. I was 20 before I started making radio, and I quickly caught the bug. Uh, I'm so glad I, I tried it out, and, and hopefully you will be equally glad when you try it out. Practice things, be fearless, listen to radio and to feedback, say yes to things. Um, good luck, Laura. Did, did you ever get involved in, in making radio at any point? I trained in radio at BBC Wood Norton Engineering College as part of my introduction to television operations course. We had to learn everything, and one of them was definitely radio. So I learned how to edit on a, a reel-to-reel using quarter-inch tape oh, with wow. a chinograph and a bit of sellotape. But um, in terms of making the radio, no, I didn't work in radio. I worked in TV, but I did work with radio reporters who came from Bush House to Television Centre. And it was interesting because when they were to cut a package for TV, they were still writing as they were as radio journalists. And there's a different craft in a way. So they had to relearn that. And that was interesting for me. And so now that's how I understand the difference between radio writing and television writing. If you want to get in touch, be it with stories, suggestions for future podcasts, feedback or something else, here are the contact details. Contact us. Email. Fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash a fantastic noise. Instagram and Twitter. At a fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Now... Are you getting queasy thinking about making your own fantastic noise? Do you need medical attention to aid with making musical audio? You need a doctor. Thank goodness it's time for Dr Laurie Hallett's radio surgery. I'm Dr Laurie Hallett, Senior Lecturer in Radio and Journalism at the University of Bedfordshire. When you're learning audio editing software, the trick is to just keep practising. It becomes second nature. Think about when you first bought a mobile phone. What did you do? You stabbed at the keys until you got it right. It's the same with any piece of audio software. 
think about when you used Word for the first time. All those keyboard shortcuts and mouse clicks and menus didn't make much sense, but now you can do it backwards. Same applies when using software like Adobe Audition. Keep trying and use the online tutorials too. That's Dr. Laurie Hallett. He loves steam trains, he loves comfortable trousers, he loves radio. A winning combination, Mary. Oh, the lovely Laurie. Not many people know that Laurie actually learned his craft from the ground up. Do you know that if you leave anything remotely relating to radio about line about the university he will take it home and build it in his garage he can he can build anything and he was a radio pirate he was one of the first people to to have a pirate radio station and he was running up transmitters illegally there was um there was a bbc tv documentary about pirate radio last year and, and he actually he actually you he know, was in it <laughs> no 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 he came across as known what he was talking about which was good well done laurie <laughs> <laughs> Laurie was talking about audio editing software there. He mentioned Adobe Audition, which uh, is, is great, and I use it, but it is expensive to use unless you, you've somehow ended up with a, a version of it. I would give a tip. If you can't afford Adobe Audition, you can download something called Audacity, which is free, and it's perfectly usable and good, and I use it with, with new students quite often because I know that they will be able to download it at home mm. and practice at home. But in terms of mobile journalism, there's loads of apps coming out. Mm. There's something called Ferrite that I use. I'm still trying to get to grips with it because, I say, I'm not a radio editor, and it's all multi-track, and you have to pay. It's about 19 for a, you know a, a, the ability to be able to record up to 24 tracks or something and do multi-channel editing and and upload it to you know social media or to your website or or to your your you know to just email it it's, it's good for young people these days but everybody's becoming a bedroom professional aren't mm. they that's right well, Ooh, uh, should i rephrase that <laughs> 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 no i think we'll leave that in um, mary before we go I would like to do a little bit of radio jargon busting. Nothing annoys me, nothing annoys me more, Mary, than technical terminology complicating matters more than is required. Uh, it's time for the Radio Word of the Week. Radio Word of the Week. Fantastic noise! A podcast about making radio. This time, our word is link, which is a word used to describe a spoken piece between two songs or something that goes into a feature such as news, weather or competition perhaps simplified further the link is the talky bit on the radio when you have a presenter talking so when you hear radio people talking about constructing tight links they mean don't waffle on keep it tight hmm. talky bits well tight links in scotland is actually a sausage <laughs> <laughs> link sausages it must be lunchtime no yeah but there's presenter links yeah a link is something that takes you from a talking voice to a package and a package could be a, a, a radio or a tv package for specifically radio it would be again it would be voice sound effects bit of music or actuality, as we try and get the students to use as much of. There's nothing flatter than a story for radio news without any added bits in. So you have the serious link, which should be the introduction, and then you have the package, which should be something that you actually want to listen to. We don't want people falling asleep on the radio. That is it for this episode of Fantastic Noise. Thank you so much for joining us. There will be another episode next week. Uh, do follow us on social media at A Fantastic Noise for updates and previews. Uh, thanks to our guests today, Absolute Radio's Emma Jones, Kate Ironside 
and Michael Island. A special thank you to my co-host today, Mary Ferguson. Thank you for coming in. Okay, thank you. I was a radio virgin, Terry, as terms of co-host, so it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elvin, Stu with a double O. Our announcements were from Freya McCann, and our theme music is by Liam Ayton. This podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team and recorded in the studios of the mighty Radiolab 97.1 FM. I'm Terry Lee, and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise. <laughs> <laughs>